Welcome to another installment of Prophecy Update Radio. This week, the rapture of the Christian Church, along with several other important prophetic topics, will be discussed. Bill Solace visits with the up-and-coming eschatologist Nathan Jones of Lamb and Lion Ministries. Lamb and Lion Ministries is the ministry founded by Dr. David Reagan, who has been on our Prophecy Update radio show several times in the recent past. Nathan Jones is the one responsible for answering the multitude of prophecy questions that stream into Dr. Reagan on a frequent daily basis at lamblion.com. Nathan has written numerous articles about Bible prophecy and is considered an expert on the pre-trib rapture. In fact, Bill features Nathan's video production about the rapture on his website at www.prophecydepot.com. It's called Jesus Came, What's Next? Bill, like Dr. David Reagan, suggests that Nathan's video will bring tears to your eyes and strongly encourages all of our Prophecy Update listeners to go to prophecydepot.com and watch Nathan's timely world-class production. Let's join our host, Bill Solace, and his guest, Nathan Jones, as they continue their discussion regarding the rapture and prophecies that are relevant to these end times. You hear about a, a mid-trib rapture. Right, rapture. let's talk about that has to happen in the middle of the tribulation. They get it from that verse about the uh, last trumpet blowing. Well, okay, well, that must be the seventh trumpet judgment. of the, You know, there's uh, seal judgments, there's trumpet judgment, there's bowl or vial judgments, however you want to call it that. And they assume that, well, that trumpet judgment is the, ju- the last trumpet. But if you follow the feasts of Israel, we see a lot of major events have happened in the Bible of Pentecost, happened on the Feast of Pentecost, well, I think that the, that verse is particularly talking about the last trumpet is the last feast of trumpets during the church age. And there's over 200, I think 221 references to trumpets. And I don't know why the mid-trib folks grab right. onto that yeah. and say, well, that's the trumpet. It's that trumpet judgment. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Uh, a lot of the, their belief is that the wrath of God happens during the bowl judgments. And before that, all the judgments, the seal and the trumpet judgments are the wrath of man or the wrath of Satan. But... God handed out those trumpets. They come from the throne room of God. So God initiated. Jesus is the one that opened the very first seal. So the wrath that happens that God pours out through the entire tribulation happens because God said it. Therefore, if Christians, the church, are supposed to be raptured from the wrath of God, it has to again happen before the tribulation begins. Okay, now it also says in, what is this, 1 Thessalonians, that God did not appoint us to wrath. Oh, yeah, and there's a whole bunch of verses that tell us, tell us that Christians are not destined to suffer the wrath of God. Okay, I'll try to find that while we're talking. Um, there's the other thing that I find interesting, and I think people might want to take some time to study this, is the, uh, the prophetic inferences of the seven letters of the seven churches, to the seven churches. Um, in one of those letters to Thyatira, um, that church is promised to go into the sick bed of the Great Tribulation. Whereas the Church of Philadelphia has said they will be kept from the hour of trial. Mm-hmm. Revelation 3.10. Yeah, so therefore what's interesting is, is one of the 
purposes of the seven letters of the seven churches. There were several purposes. Of course, they were literal churches at the time, but is that it was it was prophetic interpretation in that they would be it would outline the church history in advance. Mm-hmm. So therefore, a lot of people suggest that the um, the Church of Thyatira pretty much embodies Roman Catholicism. Um, not that all Catholics, of course, are. Uh, you know, going to be unsaved to be cast into the, the ship of the tribulation. Whereas after that, you had this evangelical Philadelphian type church that went out and missionized the world in in the 1800s and, and 1900s and stuff like that. That uh, the open door was given to them and so on and so forth. So that represents a church on earth. They're caught up in Revelation chapter 4. So church on earth, Revelation 2 and 3, chapter 4 and chapter 5 seems to be the church pictured in heaven. I think there's some good arguments for that. So therefore, it looks like the church on earth, raptured up in chapters 4 and 5, um, worth researching. I tend to subscribe to that. And then you've got Revelation 6, where the seals start to be opened, the first seal, which seems to be the emergence of the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple of the theories. Is that, have you heard those as well as to why it's a pre-trib rapture? Well, yeah, I mean, we, the entire church age can be encapsulated in a Revelation 2 or 3. Each church almost represents, I'd say it would represent a different time period within the church age. And with the last church being Laodicea being the apathetic church. And today, you know, we look around and we see the churches just rolling in apathy and the, a lot of its strength is gone. Um, you mentioned Revelation 3.10. I've opened it here. It says, uh, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. There's a promise to the Church of Philadelphia, the believing, dedicated church, is that they would be kept from the trials that are going to come on the earth. Uh, Paul says it again in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the passage I was referring to. That's one that a lot of people argue that you know we're going to be kept from that. Wrath. We're not appointed to. Oh, yeah, and there's more. I mean, go Rev, uh, Romans five nine, Ephesians five six, Colossians three four. Again and again and again, the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles say that the church will be kept from the wrath. Now, bear in mind the audience of Paul. Paul's audience. These were people who were enduring persecution under Nero and eventually Diocletian. These emperors who hated Christians, and they they were suffering. They were being thrown to the lions. So they knew persecution, but they knew there was a greater persecution coming and that they would be kept from that. So, uh, David mentioned this on the TV program. The post-trib rapture viewpoint basically puts the church into the tribulation, the wrath of God, through the seven-year tribulation. The, the bride of Christ gets all battered and bruised. The Protestant purgatory, <laughs> yeah. yes. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, I'll take you now. <laughs> not, that, not that we, you know, we're kept from persecution as a church, of course. And No, no, and we, so we so definitely so. endure trials and tribulations, but... It, and this is something to get to get our mind around it is we have to look back at the flood the flood was a particular time period where god poured out his wrath on an unbelieving rebellious really vile civilization to cleanse it and bring some righteous people through it and so even though believers suffer persecution the tribulation is just like the flood it's a special separate time for god to pour out his wrath he's going to use that tribulation to bring a remnant of israel back into believing in yeshua as messiah and to populate a millennial kingdom of peace, righteousness, and justice with Jesus ruling from Jerusalem over a believing remnant. And that's what makes the tribulation, just like the flood, a separate period of time. Yeah, you know, and um, speaking of that, that we we will encounter 
trials as a church, even before the rapture. And the church has, historically. And the church of Smyrna, in particular, in those uh, Revelation uh, letters to the churches we talked about in Revelation chapter 2, I believe it is, the church of Smyrna was the martyred church age uh, that was going on. But interestingly, you know, I was watching, there's this famous quarterback, Tim Tebow. He's with the Florida college team. And they, uh, after the game, unfortunately, they lost. They were ranked number one this season. But uh, he did an interview. And he had, on, and as these football players do often, you see John 3.16. Well, he had John 16.33. And I thought, i got to read that. What is Tim Tebow saying? And obviously, he's a Christian. What's he saying there? And it says, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is Jesus saying. Great verse. So that's perfect. You know, we're not going to be kept from tribulation. We will be kept from the hour of trial in a pre-trib rapture. The wrath of God in that hour of trial. But Christians will suffer uh, the persecution for their faith. Oh, look at India and Pakistan right now. India is having terrible problems with Christians being burned. And uh, one of the ministries that our uh, Lamb and Lion also supports, uh, the gentleman for his translating organization gets kicked out of building after building after building because the owners of the buildings are terrified the Hindus will burn their building down for letting a Christian work in their building. And that's just minor compared to even orphanages of Christians being burned down in, in different sections of India, or Pakistan, uh, persecution, you got Sudan. I mean, you name it. Other than, than the United States and, and maybe Australia, you, you see us physical person and Christian, but we see in, in our first world countries, United States and Australia and England all, a definitely legal persecution at the very beginning of persecution. So there was a time where the, the Puritans came to the New World to escape religious persecution. I don't think there's any place for Christians to escape. Maybe Texas, they can mm-hmm. escape to Texas, but even then, uh, we see a lot of religious persecution on. So yes, I, I totally agree with you. Christians will suffer persecution, but again, the tribulation is like the flood. It's a separate time period, uh, a earth-altering time period where God is going to change the world. His, it says that he has a cup of wrath, and when it reaches a certain level, that's it. That's when he finally acts on his, on his wrath. And he has to deal with sin. He has to deal with judgment. I mean, if someone sins against us, we want to see justice done for our sin. And God's the same way. He wants to see justice done for people's continued rebellion and the horrible actions that everyone does to each other. And the only thing that makes Christians different is that we are forgiven and saved. And that's a very, very important difference. Um, We're talking with Nathan Jones. He's the web minster of uh, Lamb Lion Ministries, uh, Nathan, go, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and Dr. Reagan over at your ministry. And then I want to spin off a second and try to give the listeners some courage to be encouraged because we don't know when the rapture is going to occur. We have to think it's going to be any moment now. But we also know some powerful things are coming. I want to talk briefly about those and try to encourage people to be courageous should the church not be raptured prior to some of these events because the events we're about to talk about, prophetic events that are stage setting now, are not necessarily tribulational events, and the church might go through them. And we want to be courageous. We want to use them as witnessing tools. Uh, should we still be here as God's representatives by that time? So, Nathan, how do they get in touch with you and Dr. Reagan? Sure. Uh, you can find our television show, Christ on Christ and Prophecy, on uh, Daystar and Inspiration and a number of church channels, a number of other channels. Uh, you can go to our website at lamblion.com, L-A-M-B-L-I-O-N, Com, and we have a wealth of information, uh, articles, magazines, videos. We have almost 100 of our television shows on there. And uh, you can reach us through there. Uh, click the contact. If you have a question, a Bible prophecy-related question, please email us, and we'll 
get back to you as soon as possible with an answer. And uh, we have a Facebook group so people can join, a Christ and Prophecy Facebook group. Uh, we have a blog at lamblion.us. So if you need a daily dose of Bible prophecy, you can go there and read an article every day. And we really just are trying in so many different venues to get the good news out that Jesus is coming back soon. And it's very unique uh, to have a ministry like Lamb Lion that actually has an on-call, normal 40-hour work week, Webminster, who is fielding important prophetic questions. And like you say, if you don't know the answer, you'll research it or you'll talk to Dr. Reagan and, mm -hmm. and try to get a, a solid answer to the best you can in a timely fashion. Very unique. And I invite people to visit there. Uh, I'd say Nathan and I are in communication every other day or so with yeah. uh, some questions back and forth and thoughts. And so, so I certainly invite you to that. Now, we are living in some very interesting times. I suspect um, there are, uh, well, probably about 100 pages in your normal pew Bible filled with prophetic content that has not yet found its final fulfillment. <clears throat> Obviously the rapture. But we're also talking about some Israeli war prophecies, the destruction of Damascus in Isaiah 17, the Israeli war prophecies of Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, two distinctly war, uh, different war prophecies in my estimation, and I believe your estimation. We're also talking about these seal, uh, trumpet, bowl judgments that come in Revelation, and, and just a whole flurry of things. And But like you said earlier in the interview, there could be a gap between the rapture of the church and the commencement of the tribulation period. And certain types of things that could fit in there could be very powerful, like we're talking about the destruction of Damascus. Presently, Damascus has four and a half million Syrians, either in Damascus or in connected metropolitan areas, living there. And it says in Isaiah 17, 1, Damascus shall cease to be a city. It's, it'll be a ruinous heap. And it seems to be, in verse 9 and 14 of Isaiah 17, that Israel may be responsible for that, if, if, if we understand that interpretation right. You read Jeremiah 49 as well. I mean, it makes it sound like not only will it be a ruinous heap, but it'll happen in one day. Now, how does Israel destroy the oldest city in the world in under one day? So I think what you're talking about is some kind of nuclear disaster. Right, and they have that scalar technology uh, that came out that can uh, can create a, a nuclear blast with the whole mushroom cloud effect, but without all the uh, damaging radiation. So, I mean, the technologies that exist today... Um, make uh, Hiroshima look like, you know, the days of Adam and Eve in yeah, comparison. That's... But again, you know, you're talking about these events could happen in the very near future because Iran is developing a nuclear weapon and they want to wipe Israel off the map. Now, recently, on December 3rd, and this interview is taking place on December 7th, um, Ahmadinejad said that... There's nothing, there's not a, and I'm, I'm going to say it nicely, there's not a darn thing, and he didn't <laughs> use that word, yeah. that Israel can do to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Well, for one, Nathan, doesn't that mean that Iran wants a nuclear weapon rather than for civil defense purposes? That whole civil defense purposes or for energy, for people who get their gas at 14 cents a gallon, what do they need atomic energy for? I mean, it's a total sham that they are doing it for peaceful purposes especially when every other word that come out of Adenajad's mouth is death to Israel or wipe them off the map. Now he says he's got enough nuclear fissionable material to make two atomic, not nuclear, but atomic bombs, which is still enough to wipe out a city. Now they thumb their nose at the International Atomic Energy Commission saying, well, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to pull out and do our own thing. They bent Russia's arm behind their back, said, you will finish that nuclear reactor, even though Russia voted against them. 
they're still building their nuclear reactors, and they are hell-bent, and I'll, I'll use a little, literally hell-bent, to make a nuclear bomb with the intention. I mean, you can see it even now. They're funneling all these resources and weapons into Gaza and into Syria and Hezbollah, and so they definitely have a death wish against Israel. So that, that the nuclear energy is going to be used for peaceful purposes is nonsense. I don't think anyone in the world really believes that it's peaceful. Well, and then, okay, on December 4th, the day after mm -hmm. Ahmadinejad said Israel can't do anything to stop them, Iran successfully simulated a detonation. Yes. Which, um, you know, it means you don't, if you can do this, and it's very hard to do these, very challenging to simulate a nuclear de detonation through a sort of a laboratory environment through a computerized model. Um, it means they don't have to do what North Korea did, blow something up underground. Mm -hmm. um, they did it successfully, and then the experts are saying it's very challenging to do that, and it means that Iran could be within one year now of having a nuclear weapon. If they've got the ability, because that's one of the most difficult things with the nuclear technology is the actual detonation process, and if they can simulate that right now, they're closer than many people think. Well, they got the missile that reaches a 1,000 miles. They have no problem at least having a vehicle capable of delivering a nuclear weapon all the way to Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. So Israel has is, is really got their backs up against the wall. Uh, another interesting, not just Iran, but uh, if you read last year, uh, excuse me, last month in November, Turkey totally dropped diplomatic relationships with Israel, which they've had for 20 years, strong diplomatic relations with Israel, and instead dropped out of a, a exercise with Israel and the United States and switched to have a military exercise with Syria, formed a, a, comp, a, pact, excuse me, a pact with them, and now they can have diplomatic immunity and open borders. So Turkey, who has been basically shunned by the EU, is looking east, and that's an exact fulfillment that they would be part of the Ezekiel 38-39 coalition of nations that will attack Israel, and Turkey has prophetically moved into that. So we've seen a lot of prophetic pieces starting to come together in the Middle East right now. Yeah, and so and this is why a lot of people have sort of an Ezekiel 38 now fervor going on, and rightfully so. But... But, like you said, the nations that comprise Ezekiel 38 and 39, if you look at the modern ones, the Rush, which is Russia, the Scythian, ancient Scythian people are now Russia. we got Turkey, Armenia, which Turkey just uh, signed a pact with recently. Uh, we've got um, uh, Libya, and we've got uh, Sudan, and all these nations, uh, Persia, which is Iran now, all these nations in an outer ring around Israel that are planning and getting together and attacking based on God, with Ezekiel 38 and 39 says God will put hooks in the leader of the this coalition, a guy who will be designated Gog, and drag them down to their destruction. But we look around the nations around Israel. You look at Egypt and Lebanon and Syria and Jordan, and you wonder, why are they sitting it out? Hezbollah's got 10,000 rockets pointed 40, at Israel. 40,000, I think. Now. Is it up to I 40, think it's up to 40,000 rockets now. So, I mean, there's definitely some countries that hate Israel with a passion, who every day are yelling they want to destroy Israel, but they're sitting out Ezekiel 38, 39. So, yeah, you're right. I think we definitely have a very... Great passion for Ezekiel 38:39, but I really believe you you came across something with your Psalm 83 theory because those nations will certainly not want to sit out to destruction of Israel. And those nations are coincidentally in Psalm 83. Yes. And uh, we're talking about the nations of Lebanon with Hezbollah, Syria, Jordan, the Palestinians, of course, um, the Hamas out of the Philistia area, the Gaza, um, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. So. Um, those are the inner ring of closely bordering, they closely border the nation of Israel currently today. So I agree, it's certainly worth exploring and thinking about. Why aren't they listed in? Is it because Israel deals with them prior? 
in the Psalm 83 episode. And of course, that's the central theme of, of Israelistine. So we invite the listeners to, if they haven't already read that book, to get it. Okay, so now, dare we talk about how close some explosive events in the Middle East could be. And unlike uh, my mentor, our mentor, Dr. Arnold Fluchtenbaum, I'll speak for myself there, who doesn't, he likes to have a wait-and-see attitude and not speculate. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, I go out on the fringe and speculate a little bit. So I'm going to do that a little bit, and you tell me if you're comfortable with this. Um, because the theme of what I'm trying to do in this second part of this interview, Nathan, is to give people encouragement to be courageous. In other words, they've got to be courageous when the events we're talking about are going to happen. Because if these events happen, as we're talking about, it's going to have an adverse effect on all of humanity. Yes. Because that's that's the oil wealth region of the world. Well, Iran's already threatened to close down the Strait of Hormuz, which we get 40% of our oil from. So it's not like this something out in the Middle East that no one has to worry about. This thing will affect the world, at least from a Psalm 83 perspective. Now, Ezekiel 38 and 39, the, there's some tremendous fallout from that. I mean, the world finally acknowledges God. There won't be an atheist left after Ezekiel 38, 39. God's going to destroy those arm, invading armies miraculously. We're talking about hail and fire and the armies turning on each other and so that destruction and there'll be fire burning the bible says on the nations back in the homelands and the nations that feel that they're in safety so this whatever ezekiel 38 and 39 results in it results in a worldwide result so if we see that and i don't believe we will i don't i think ezekiel 38 39 is is related to the tribulation more than is related because of the earth acknowledging god that's a a very tribulation type event but a psalm 83 i think we are i mean israel is for they have no friends mm-hmm. they are surrounded by hostile enemies they have iran and nobody's doing anything about iran our, our certainly our country isn't the eu is trying to divide up jerusalem they have to do something now one of their generals came out recently and said that the next war that israel has to face will be an all-country war because the missiles now can finally hit all of israel mm-hmm. so they're very smart and uh, they know how to fight, and I think they will have to do something about their surrounding neighbors, and maybe that's enough to push Iran and these other nations to back up a little while, catch their breath before they make a coalition and attack. Right, and the Wall Street Journal came out, I think it was November of '09, and uh, just a month or two ago, might have been October, and said that should Israel preempt a strike on Iran, which is what we're talking about, if, if they do that, Iran threatens to shut down the Strait of Hormuz, that gas, uh, the price of oil could go up to 300 bucks a barrel. That was in the Wall Street Journal. Wow. And presently it's closing about 70 to 80 bucks a barrel. So you're, it will have a dramatic effect, like you say. So the thought could, and, and you know, a lot of people put Psalm 83 before the tribulation, the rapture before the tribulation. Some put Ezekiel 38 before the tribulation. Some don't know exactly where to put it. Mm-hmm. So there's good reasons it could be before. There's good reasons it could be after. Uh, Ron Rhodes did a book called Northern Storm Rising. Isn't that also on Lamb Lighting? Didn't you interview Ron Rhodes? On... Yes, we did. We talked about Northern Storm Rising. He's, uh, he believes either it would be before the uh, tribulation or just into the tribulation. He gives a lot of excellent detail. He goes through every possible time period that could possibly happen and shows you the, how it couldn't work. Now, the biggest thing is that Israel has to be dwelling in safety. That's Now, that they're dwelling in safety shows that Israel... They're not right now, and they have to be in unwalled. So they have to do something between now and then for Ezekiel 38. They're going to have to be in a peaceful condition. And Israel, once those armies are defeated by God miraculously, Israel burns 
the weapons for fuel for seven years. Now we know in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will drive the Jews out and will flee into to Jordan. Well, of course, why are they fleeing to Jordan? Unless so they three and a half years in. So three and a half years in. So and, and Dr. Reagan was the first one to bring this up to me. I never thought about that. More than likely, he believes Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine will happen three and a half, at least three and a half years before the tribulation begins. So they have the full seven years to burn those weapons. Now maybe they take the weapons with them down to Petra and burn them along the way. You know, it, it, that's open to yeah, interpretation. Yeah, when and that's the destination where they flee. Uh, when they're being persecuted by the Antichrist, Petra being modern-day southern Jordan. Yes. So your argument there is that are they going to stop by and burn some weapons on the way or take them with you, with them for fuel conversion in Petra? Not likely. Probably not. So therefore, what Reagan is saying, Dr. Reagan, and I've heard Dr. Arnold Fruchtemont say this, and I concur with it, is that the conclusion, not the commencement, but the conclusion of Ezekiel 38 and 39 since they'll be burning weapons for seven years and not likely being burning weapons into the second half of the tribulation, mm-hmm. we'll have to conclude three and a half years prior to the commencement of the tribulation. And that would give the Antichrist time to the rise to power. You think about it, if Israel subjugates their surrounding countries, and then eventually all the rest of the Oil East country, and Russia is knocked out of the picture, and they're one of the biggest gas producers in the world, Israel owns all the oil of the world. Of course they're going to try to make a peace to it. I mean, you would want to, especially when God has made himself known that he defends Israel, the Antichrist would be a smart man to make a treaty with Israel. And so that would give Israel the time leading up for the Antichrist to rise enough prominence in the EU to make a treaty with Israel and move forward in that relationship. Right. So Israel is very possibly going to preempt a strike against Iran. They have no choice. I mean, what can they do? Uh, Obviously, the... UN isn't doing it. I mean, you can, they wag their fingers at Iran and say, stop it, stop it, stop it. And then, okay, well, next month, stop it, stop it, stop. Mm-hmm. But they're not doing anything about it. Israel's the only hope. And I think when you read in Ezekiel 38, 9, 38 and 39, and you see that uh, Saudi Arabia, the Sheba and Dedan, you see the nations that dwell in safety, sitting it out and watching it. I think we're those nations that sit out. Hmm, is Israel going to rescue us or not? We're looking at Israel, although... The whole world condemns Israel. We're looking for Israel to save us in the Middle East. Yes, because it would make sense that we want to have international relationships and commerce, especially if Israel becomes the wealthy Israel that Russia is going to invade. Mm-hmm. Whether they become that because they find oil on their under their own surf, you know, turf rather, um, they found natural gas. You know, we know about Haifa. I heard you talk about that on radio interviews. They found the Tamar One project, um, but they could also get it from Arab resources from in the aftermath of Psalm eighty three, but. You know, here we are, the you know, possibly connected with the young lions of Tarshish, and it also uses the words merchants in there, mm-hmm. wanting to have an economic relationship with a prosperous Israel, the very Israel that Russia comes against. So we could, like you say, be sitting there going, what are you guys doing? We're trying to establish some stability here and have a financial economic relationship here internationally with Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, so it really does pose a good argument that you bring up there. That could be us saying... What are you guys about to do? Yeah, I mean, it's always better to let somebody else do your dirty work. And I think the nations, the Bible shows that the nations are lazy, and they're sitting it back, and they're letting Israel do their dirty work for them. Mm-hmm. And if Israel is destroyed in the process, I don't think the world would bat an eye, in the, because they really don't want Israel to exist anyway. I mean, UN after UN resolution, a day of mourning, where they regret ever granting Israel access to the land. Uh But we know prophetically that would happen. Israel will exist, and God's promises will exist, and we're talking about blessings is that we can trust if God will fulfill his promises to Israel 
that he will fulfill his promises to the church. And one of those promises is, like you said, the rapture. Absolutely. So, should we be here? You know, just to play it out real quickly, but then I want to get into, should we be here? How can we as a church have courage and witness in the aftermath of Psalm 83, Isaiah 17? Um, if the rapture doesn't occur prior, which it could, um, and Ezekiel 38, should it be a pre-trib event? And should the church still be here? Um, the way this could play out is that there could be a preemptive strike on Iran. Iran's proxies, Hezbollah, Syria, and Hamas could come against Israel. Israel could have to act decisively and do something devastating to Damascus. This could easily get the Arab League to convene, draw lines in the Mideast sand, and say, Jordan, Egypt, and all you Arab League nations, what side of the sand are you on? Israel just did something devastating to Damascus. You could have Psalm 83 actually come right out of that. So we won't go too deep into that. You can hear plenty of that on my radio and reviews and stuff like that. But let's assume Psalm 83 occurs and the church is still here. How can that be a witnessing tool for Christians who understand that prophecy and it plays out before our very eyes on Fox and CNN and everything? Wouldn't that be a great witnessing tool? I know Bill uh, Israelistan will become a number one bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be coming to you for loans. Yeah, but, I, told, uh, I told my wife I, I'm not praying for a Middle East war. I just think one's coming. <laughs> yes, you're only the reporter, exactly. But I, I think that it will be one. I mean, we have so many signs of the times occurring right now to show that Jesus is coming back. We have an arsenal of signs of the times to show that. And many Christians, they're like, well, well what will be will be. They're not paying attention. But when we see things heat up in the Middle East, and you can go back to Psalm 83, or you can show in your book how you explain it so well, and say, look, this is prophetically going to happen. We're in it right now. I mean, that's a major thing. And I think that is really going to open people's eyes to, to the Bible and to God's promises and what comes just after that. And that gives that, uh, I mean, Bible prophecy is so wonderful because it, it gives us an urgency to want to share the gospel. And I think if people see Bible prophecy being fulfilled right before their eyes, and we certainly have with Israel coming back in the land and it being regathered from all the nations, the beginning processes, is that it makes us excited that we're living in a time where God's will and God's promises are coming together and they're culminating. The rapture is just in another exciting part because, you know, it, as nice as this earth is, I'm anxious to get to heaven, get my glorified body and, and uh, not age anymore. And, uh, and just be with our Lord and be with our Savior. So it means it's close, and it gives us an opportunity to live holier lives, that we are in a time where well, we need to get serious about our Christianity. Uh, as a parent, you know, there's times I've seen that look when I come home or, or I go into my a room of my kids, and they're not doing something they should, and they look up real quickly, and they have this look of, oop, you caught me doing something I shouldn't. I don't want God coming back and seeing and me making that same look, oop, I've been caught doing something I shouldn't. And so uh, Bible prophecy, would, I think, would revitalize the church and make us more focused and concentrate the on the very Lord. Very good. Well said, yeah. Okay, so you'd mentioned earlier, we'll kind of conclude with some comfort here. Um, you'd mentioned earlier John 14 as part of the perhaps connecting rapture passages. Um, it says, let your heart not be troubled. Am I correct? Is that something that you believe connects with? The, okay. Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus saying this. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. 
So Nathan, now how does that connect? Is this this is what Jesus is doing now? He's pounding some nails on mats on the mansion for <laughs> for Christians, and then he's about to come and get us and put, put them in there. Well, you know, God has talked about creation, and creation took six days, and he rested on the seventh. But since Jesus was resurrected for two thousand years, he's been building a new Jerusalem, and it is beyond belief. It's in, I envy John being able to the Apostle John being able to go and see it. When you talk about the magnitude and size of it, uh, boy, I, I just read an article recently. I wish I, I knew you were going to ask this. I would have brought it with me where they actually go in to calculate the dimensions of how big this thing is. And so we know that not only do we have a wondrous new place, heaven and earth will meet one day, but we get to be with our Savior forever, the guy who died for us, the guy who loves us, the God who made us. And we get to spend eternity. And we don't have to worry about crime in sin, in death anymore, in sorrow. We get to have no perfect relationships. I get to stop screwing up in my in my sin nature and be made whole and complete again. And that is a lot to look forward to, and that's a lot of hope. And yeah, there's some tough times coming on the world. Like you said, you know, wars in the Middle East, wars and rumors of war. Jesus said in Matthew 24 would be preceding all this happening. But at the end, the glory that we'll get to share in and be with God forever, that is well worth the tribulation and suffering that we go through today. Well, speaking of the New Jerusalem, of course, I think we picked up in Revelation 21, where there's some description given. Mm -hmm. It says, Revelation 21, 15, um, that it was measured with a reed, and it was 12,000 furlongs its length, breadth, and height, and they're all equal. Um, I had done some math on this once upon a time, and it laid out from an American map from about San Diego of Southern California all the way up to like Seattle if you're trying to go up the west coast stretched all the way from the south over toward around the Houston area of Texas and equally if you went square with it all the way up it takes you around into Montana somewhere I think so parallel to uh, Seattle. We're talking about a pretty huge place if you take the 12,000 furlongs and you cube it, length, breadth, and height. So we're talking about a beautiful, spectacular New Jerusalem. Of course, Jesus was a carpenter. He was involved in creation. <laughs> you know, I know many of you folks listening right now in these tough economic times are losing your homes, you Christians. You need to keep your faith because Jesus is building you a new one, and you'll be there pretty soon. Uh, you know, I know it's hard not to be victimized by the things you're going through in these tough times. What Nathan Jones and I are trying to tell you is that um, our faith is in God, and he is sticking to the blueprint, and the blueprint says he's coming to get us real soon. So we need to be prepared. I really encourage you to get to check out Nathan's video. It is an effective witnessing tool. Uh, the, the hour of trial coming upon the earth is coming soon, and uh, you can be fully equipped with your hope in Christ, because it says at the end of First Thessalonians 4, verse 18, after he talks about the rapture, he says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So Nathan, deposit some closing comforting words about the urgency of the time and about the love of Jesus, and we'll take it out from there. Well, folks, Bible prophecy proves that the Bible is the truth. No prophecies by men are ever fulfilled. But in the Bible, they are. Over 300 were fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. We have over 500 be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. And we're in the middle of that. Not only did God create us and he saves us, but he wants us to live with him forever. And he's doing everything he can for that. So keep your eye on the big picture. Keep your eye on the end game. And that's when Jesus comes back 
and we live in a new world of peace, righteousness, and justice with a guy who made us, who loves us, and he gave us everything to be with him. And that means a lot. So these times are tough. Continue to pray, fellowship with other believers, look for comfort in each other. But as, as Bill just said, comfort each other, encourage each other with these words that Jesus is coming back for us and he will deliver us. Thank you very much, Nathan. We'll have you on again. Thank you, Bill. Great encouragements from our host, Bill Solace, the best-selling author of Israelistine, The Ancient Blueprints of the Future Middle East, and Nathan Jones of Lamb Lion Ministries. Keep your eyes on the prize, and that prize is eternal life with Jesus Christ. Be sure to go to prophecydepot.com and kwbb.org to listen to other timely prophecy discussions as well as this two-part discussion on the rapture and tribulation events. Until next time, keep looking up for your redemption draws nigh.